Welcome to the Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Admiral James Stavridis is a retired four-star U.S. Naval officer. He was the 16th Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. He does lots of things. He's the vice chair for global affairs and managing director of the Carlisle Group. He is the chair of the Rockefeller Foundation board. When the man sleeps, we have no idea. For more information on the Admiral, check out his website, which is AdmiralStav, S-T-A-V dot com, and follow him on social media at Stavridis J. This is Admiral Stavridis. Admiral, I, I have one sort of big picture question that I've been so eager to ask of you, and I hope that I can articulate it in a way that will give you some ability to then run with it. It's this. With the passage of time, it seems to me the, you know, the, the, the neophyte lacking your expertise, the Biden administration is softening in its reluctance to go all in in Ukraine. On the New York Times front page today is a reminder that the Biden administration was initially reluctant to even acknowledge that we were providing Stinger anti-aircraft missiles. And now... Uh, maybe we are going to green light the targeting of Crimea, maybe as well. We're, we're going to provide these striker combat vehicles. Some even say tanks are a possibility in the future. What has changed? So much has changed. And if you think back uh, exactly a year ago, we were actually in a debate about whether Russia would invade or not. And Vladimir Putin and Foreign Minister Sergei Lavrov and Many senior Russians all said, oh, no, these are just exercises. Well, how did that turn out? So after the invasion and the heroic defense by the Ukrainians, then Putin begins this massive carpet bombing, war criminal behavior, torture, murder, rape rooms, the horrors of Bucha. We know this narrative at this point, and it becomes clear to the international community that Putin is not backing down. And so that is what has changed. And now, flash forward to today, Michael, uh, Putin is talking about even further mobilization, another 100,000, 200,000, 300,000, 400,000 troops. If he throws those kind of numbers, even if they're untrained across those battle lines in the spring, the Ukrainians have to have the kind of heavy armament that you described at the top of the show, principally tanks. That is what has changed. Okay. In addition to what Admiral Stavridis has just said, is it also possible that initially our objective was to help Ukraine repel Russian advancement and invasion? And now along the way, because we've been pleasantly surprised at the fighting ability of the Ukrainians, now the thinking among military intelligentsia is, hey, we can actually win this thing, or Ukraine can actually win this thing. Uh, First and foremost, war is unpredictable. We don't know how this is going to come out. Uh, I would, however, agree with Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of the United States, General Mark Milley, very competent war fighter, served under my command when I was senior uh, Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. Mark Milley's assessment, given just a few weeks ago, is that taking back Crimea. Let's focus on Crimea. That's the most significant element here. Boy, that's going to be a tough task militarily. But um, what we ought to do is 
take a maximalist approach in terms of what we put in the hands of the Ukrainians. And I think you're going to see Volodymyr Zelensky continue to take a maximalist negotiating position, which is no Russians in my country, full stop, and see where this thing goes in the spring. I wouldn't rule out actually running the table and pushing Russia out entirely, but I think it's uh, less the chances of how this thing ends. I think we're probably headed toward a negotiation sometime in 2023. Has our approach up until now been tempered because of the concern that if we do X, Putin will do Y, and Y could include nuclear? That's exactly right. And if I could, uh, if you'll permit the admiral to put it in nautical terms, um, we have been sailing in a very tight channel. On one side of us is uh, a Putin victory. On the other side is we uh, attack and throw all of our military capability against Putin. And, and so we've tried to kind of stay down the middle of the channel here. But again, back to your upfront question, what has changed? What's changed is it's become crystal clear. Putin is not going to back down here. And therefore, the idea that we're somehow going to provoke Putin into doing something worse just doesn't hold water anymore. So look for the U.S. and the allies to put more offensive capability in the hands of the Ukrainians, who, by the way, newsflash, are not going to send tanks to take Moscow. They just want the Russians to leave. So I think it, 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 it's been an incremental approach by the administration, but I think we're now at the point where it's give the Ukrainians what they want. Let's see where they can take it. Well, wherein lies the red line, if at all? Is there anything short of nuclear weapons, but is there anything that we won't give them? At this point, um, we have not provided them combat aircraft. I think it's time to revisit that. Everything mm. else, by the way, surface-to-surface missiles, anti-ship cruise missiles, main battle tanks, all that's gone into the fight. The one big card we haven't turned over for our Ukrainian friends is combat aircraft. The Poles have MiG-29s, pretty good aircraft, a little on the older side, but the Ukrainians know how to fight them. Have the Poles give those to the Ukrainians, we can backfit the Poles with F-16s. Or just as we're training the Ukrainians to use the Patriot missile system, we can train them to use an F-16. It's not an endless process to do that. And frankly, I think if Putin takes a World War II style, throw the Red Army, if you will, at the front lines, uh, the Ukrainians are going to need air cover in addition to those main battle tanks. So rather than have NATO provide that air cover, I would say get those aircraft now in the hands of the Ukrainians. Admiral Stavridis, I remember, I think it was about a year ago, debate on the issue of whether we should fly F-16s to Poland, leave them there, because we didn't at that time, and you correct me if I'm wrong, we didn't want to go so far as to deliver them actually into Ukraine. Indeed. And again, what has changed is the incremental cautious approach, which I think was the right one, um, has failed to dislodge Putin. Putin is certainly pushing hard to do everything. And so at this stage of things, um, we're giving Putin a choice. You can either continue to lose in Ukraine or we're going to continue to pump the Ukrainians up. The last thought on that, Michael, uh, by the way, Ukraine will come out of this war with 
arguably the strongest military and the most experienced military in Europe. It's true. Um, they look a lot more attractive as a NATO partner than they did a year ago. Okay, but among the takeovers that you're leaving me with, you believe that combat aircraft needs to be a consideration on the part of the U.S. That's the one thing we've held back from them that now you think needs to be evaluated and, and if not, given to them. Indeed, I do. And specifically, combat aircraft that can provide air-to-ground fires, can go after troops, can go low and go after troops. And then secondly, aircraft that can shut down the ability of Russia to continue these attacks from the air. I think that's the big card we ought to be playing as the spring unfolds. Does that mean that you say to them, we'll give you the combat aircraft, but you can't fly beyond Ukraine's border? Yes, and I think they would gladly take that deal. And, oh, by the way, we can monitor that deal. We can enforce that deal. I think uh, giving them aircraft in that kind of uh, set of rules is very sensible. I want to also say I enjoyed the pirate discussion in your most recent Bloomberg piece. (laughs) I I remember the Mersk, Alabama and the Captain Phillips episode. And I I guess a lot of this occurred, what, just before you became the Supreme Allied Commander of NATO? Uh, The specific Captain Phillips done so beautifully in that film with Tom Hanks, that episode occurred just months before I took command. But throughout the four years I was Supreme Allied Commander, we had hundreds of similar attacks on civilian vessels. It's a, it's a pretty good success story. The international community came together and has shut down effectively that Somali pirate operation. Were you surprised by the level of sophistication that, that here you were, you know, the Navy Admiral, the Supreme Allied, and, and here are these pirates, but my God, they're capable of doing pretty amazing things. <clears throat> Yeah, and to take the conversation back to Ukraine, in a sense, combat, war, human will, it's unpredictable. And I never would have bet uh, 10 years earlier that as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, I would be fighting pirates at sea. I got to say, for an admiral, that's a pretty good gig. Admiral Stavridis, thank you as always. We'll see you back here, we hope, next week. And for more information on you, people should go to AdmiralStav.com. Also, they should follow you on social at Stavridis J. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, and I'll see you next week, Michael. That's Admiral James Stavridis. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS. Sirius XM Channel 124 and on the SXM app. We haven't discussed Ukraine for quite some time. I'd I'd really love to have a quick conversation with those of you willing to engage. He was pretty clear in his answers, uh, me totally lacking his expertise. I always thought the following. Let me just see if I can put this in some semblance of order. I've always thought that the approach on the part of the United States was, well, of course, we're going to support Ukraine, not only on the merits, not only for morality's sake, but also because it's it's Russia who is the aggressor in this choice between the two. And that our approach was going to be one of let's try and arm Ukraine sufficiently to make Putin think twice. And there have been kind of checks and balances every step of the way. Yeah, it was I was in Poland last spring 
And I remember this being a subject of conversation before I went to Poland to see the relief effort. Like, ah, we're, we better not give them the F-16s. That's a step too far. Well, how about if we fly the F-16s to Poland and make Ukraine come and get them? No, they really don't know how to fly them. They'd be better off with the MiG-29s. So what we'll do is the Polish MiG-29s will go to Ukraine. We'll train the Poles on the F-16s. Like, you know, working ourselves into all of these uh, contortions because we didn't want to go too far. And Crimea, no, 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 we don't want the Ukrainians trying to free Crimea, which was taken illegally from them couple of years ago. We don't want to do that because we don't want to piss off Putin. We don't want him going nuclear. And it just seems with the passage of time that the administration, and I'm, I'm not saying it's a mistake, I'm saying it as an observer, that the reluctance that has been in evidence in multiple instances, the, um, uh, what did I say, the striker, What's the name of the the weaponry that is now in the the, the striker combat vehicles? That's what they are. They're they are not tanks. You know, we've we've not yet crossed the tank Rubicon, but the resistance that existed in supplying them with the striker combat vehicles, that was another. You know, we're not going to do that. And and all of these things have fallen by the wayside. Have they fallen by the wayside because we're no longer fearful of what Putin does if he's really angry, meaning that he's going to go nuclear, or has the goal changed? That it's not just where we're going to prop up Ukraine, let them score some victories, make Putin think twice, and eventually, as the Soviets did in Afghanistan, put their tail between their legs and leave, but rather, do we now think we're going to win this thing? I wonder what your thoughts are and whether that ought to be our goal. Yeah, that's a good way to, that's a good way. You know what? Reminder for the future in terms of a poll question. What should be our objective relative to Ukraine? Should it be to expel uh, Putin or an outright victory? I have to think about it. I guess what I'm talking about are those far, re- those far eastern territories of Ukraine and whether it's not enough that we push him back from where he invaded a year ago. No, 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 no. Now we want him totally out, including in places like Crimea. You know what I'm saying. Uh, Phil, you are in Tampa, Florida. Relative to Ukraine, the comments of Admiral Stavridis, what did you want to contribute? I, I could just hear the the drive for uh, NATO war with Russia dripping off of Sturridis' voice. Really? If, if you recall from the Cuban, Cuban Missile Crisis, the generals were pushing Kennedy hard to, to bomb Cuba, which would be, re- result in bombing West Berlin. And thank God Kennedy didn't listen to the Sturridis' of his day, or we'd be, we would have been off the races then. I, I, didn't, I didn't take that from him. I, I took from him that he thinks that at this point combat aircraft is necessary for them to be successful. But I didn't get for him that you know he's looking for this thing to escalate beyond a limited conflict between Russia and Ukraine. Oh, my gosh, Michael. All he wants is to continue to push this to, to, the, to the point where, uh, where, a com- where a country with 1,500 nuclear weapons has to agree to lose like a gentleman, which if you think that's going to happen, you know, that's a big risk. Yeah, I mean, for me, the, the extreme position would be the position of saying we're letting them into NATO now. And that you didn't hear from him. Just, just re- read the accounts of the Cuban Missile Crisis of what the Stavridis of their time were pushing for Kennedy to do to uh, Got it. about Russians' aggression. All right. Thank you for that. Appreciate it very much. This is the Smirconish Podcast from Sirius XM.
Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM Channel 124, and on the SXM app. Let me go to Dallas, where Debbie is standing by. Hi, Debbie. Hey, Michael. I just wanted to say that I support Ukraine. I'm against Russia. And I think that we, instead of piecemealing so slowly, I think we need to give them everything that they want and help them to fight off Russia. You know, because just I think the longevity of the war is is working against us. And I think the Republicans are working against us. I was just going to say, I was going to say, is that because you think that here at home the support is going to diminish? Yeah, because I, I see the Republicans already talking negatively about it. And, and, and one thing I, that they're saying is that we don't have enough, you know, equipment for the Ukraines and for ourselves. And that's one thing I'd like for you to ask the admiral is, uh, are we having trouble replenishing our weapons or are we not having trouble? I think that's a good question. And I, I should ask it of him because I read up. Thank you, Debbie. I read a front page story yesterday that said that we are now having Ukraine dip into a stockpile that we maintain in Israel for any Middle East conflict that involves us or in extreme circumstances, if Israel should need it because they've run out. And the analysis that I'm making reference to, I'm trying to think of who wrote it. I think it was Eric Schmidt who wrote it and said that relative to Russia and Ukraine could come down to who runs out of artillery first. Uh, Pennsylvania is where Paul is standing by. Paul, what did you want to say? Hello, Michael. I'm, Hi. I'm kind of a mixed mind about this because we have such a bloated defense budget. I mean, we spend like seven to $800 billion a year on it. And I understand the necessity of supporting Ukraine. I think it's a good idea. But we got to reach a point where Maybe we should say no, if not to the Ukrainians, at least to the military, because there's been so many failures. I'm thinking of the Navy, where they have ships that just don't work, and they spend not hundreds of millions, but they spend billions of dollars on them. You know, can we keep this military spending up forever? I you know, when do we say no? I guess is the question. Okay, I think you. I think you ask a very fair question. I think historically, many have not wanted to oppose the military because they get perceived as being weak. Um, listen, I have a story. To, thank you, Paul. I have a story today at Spurkanish dot com. I almost put it as the must read of the day, but instead going in a George Santos direction. Maybe that was a mistake. But it's from the Sun in the UK, and you heard Admiral Stavridis say. There's a belief that the Russians are preparing an offensive in the hundreds of thousands of troops. The Sun says it's Putin readying 700,000 troops for a massive new offensive in weeks to cut Ukraine off from Europe and then face down NATO. Ukraine has been warning over the winter that Putin's forces will be gearing up for a renewed attack in 2023. It's been nearly 11 months since he invaded Ukraine, sending his forces pouring over the border. But it was not the days-long special military operation that he and his men hoped for. And now more than 117,000 Russians are lying dead in the muddy battlefields of Ukraine. I have no idea if that's a, a valid number. It's so hard to, to get reliable data 
when Russia's involved. The war has seen his forces thrown back and any hopes of a quick victory have sunk to the bottom of the Black Sea, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Read that story. Uh, Matt in Arroyo Grande, California. Hi, Matt. What did you want to contribute? Okay, well, first, since I'm still in the military, let me just say my opinions on my own and do not represent those of the Department of Defense, U.S. Army, or National Guard. Okay, so um, we better figure out what the end state is here because uh, I support the Ukrainians. I think the Russians are pieces of garbage. But, you know, they have historically done this. They pick a fight with somebody, they take hundreds of thousands of casualties, and they just don't quit. And they end up just shoving their own men into the meat grinder until the meat grinder stops. I wish, this is my personal opinion again, I wish that after the atrocities at Bucha had been discovered that NATO would have said, okay, enough, and come in and finished it. But now, you know, every day that goes by, the resolve of people in Western Europe is going to start to diminish. I mean, it's, it's you can say what we want to say, but, you know, people are not heating their homes and everything's expensive and this is having a lot of ancillary effects. Um, we are running low on on munitions. Um, we can produce about 15,155 millimeter shells a month, and we've given them well over a million now. So, um, you know, it's it's, uh, do you it's think a serious that, thing. Do you think I, the we, American people could have been sold post-Bucha discoveries? Because I have doubts. I think if, if, if there was a time that we were going to establish a no-fly zone or something of that nature to, to, to dramatically increase NATO's direct involvement, um, that would have been the time before um, the economic pain had really settled in when the weather was still warm and people weren't experiencing, you know, heat rationing in Western Europe, which is going on now, um, you know, I, I think that I think that most people support the Ukrainians, um, but between Zelensky saying he wants everything back, including Crimea and the U.S. and NATO, they probably need to have a meeting and get on the same page because yeah. the Russians have been willing to fight for access to the Black Sea since the days of the czars and the czarinas. So I, I just don't see even if you had Navalny in the Kremlin now. With a with a majority in the Duma, I don't think he can sell giving up Crimea and giving up the naval base at Sevastopol. I don't think it's realistic. The page. Thank you, Matt. Obviously, a very informed opinion. I appreciate it. Page one today above the fold in The Times. I'm looking at the print edition. U.S. is softening stance on Kiev striking Crimea. Three person byline dateline Washington, D.C. for years the United States has insisted that Crimea is still a part of Ukraine, yet the Biden administration has held to a hard line since Russia's invasion of Ukraine, refusing to provide Kiev with the weapons it needs to target the Crimean Peninsula, which Russia has been using as a base for launching devastating strikes. Now that line is starting to soften, in line with the conversation that I had with Admiral Stavridis. The Smirconish Podcast for Independent Minds. Listen to Michael Smirconish live weekdays from 9 a.m. to noon east on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 or anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.